There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Okay, welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast today with Paige and Colin. Paige, it's great to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always happy to come on. It's always nice seeing somebody besides Greg in that chair. (laughs) Nothing against Greg. He's a great guy, but it's good to have some change. And Paige, you've been getting a lot of questions about AI these days, I'm sure. Yeah, we get lots of questions about AI and how it's going to affect people in our business. Yeah. And when I attended the Future Proof Conference in California, it's all any of the speakers talked about. It was AI this, AI that. I mean, it came up in 100% of the presentations, Mm. which was interesting. And so to help answer some of those questions, we have an expert joining us today, an avid listener of the show, a friend of the CM Group, and a subject matter expert in generative AI, Mike Mason, Chief AI Officer at ThoughtWorks. And Mike, I believe, studied at Oxford. Is that right? That's right. Pembroke College, Oxford. So pretty smart dude, Paige. We're pretty pleased to have this person join us today. So Mike, welcome to the Free Lunch Podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're happy that you're here. So you are the Chief AI Officer. So you're only going to talk about your area of expertise, which is technology. And we're not going to talk about any sort of investment advice based off of that. And by the way, that was a script right from your people. Yeah, much as I would. (laughs) Love to give opinions on investing and stuff like that. That's not really my area of expertise. So well, technology and AI. Feel free to tell your friends and family how you feel about okay, your right. investing. But Paige, you want to just maybe kick us off here? Yeah. So Mike, tell us your story. How did you get into your current role? So I know you have guests on who tell their origin story. Mine actually started when I was born in Toronto. Okay. I know most people don't go back this far, but I was born in Toronto. My parents were over here living and working and I lived here for 18 months and then went back to the UK, which is where my family's from. And so that's why I sound like I do. Hopefully I still sound (laughs) English mostly. And I have two passports. And so early on in my career, I had joined a consulting firm in London, ThoughtWorks, and they had just opened up a Calgary office. And in my early 20s, I was very into snowboarding and I'd heard that Canada has good snow. And so I volunteered to come over and help open up the office here in Calgary. And fast forward 20 years, I'm still at the same company. I like to joke that I've done all the technology roles at the company from programmer to tech lead to architect and technology strategy guy. And now with this new wave of AI, which is, I think, probably the most exciting tech development in my career, we wanted to move faster on it. And I got put in this job to help us accelerate our efforts with Gen AI at the company. That's really cool. I guess I should have started the episode with some proper disclaimers that I was supposed to mention before we started recording. So I'm going to get those out of the way right now, right? 
And I quote, disclaimer, the statements and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not constitute or imply endorsement of the company or its services. Okay, that's done. So now we can carry on with our conversation. So Paige, Mike and I were actually joking a little bit before we started recording a few days ago or maybe a week ago or so that I should use AI to ask what questions I should ask an AI expert, right? So I did just that (laughs) and I went on chat GPT. And I asked, what questions should I ask a generative or gen AI expert on generative AI in a podcast? And here's the first thing that popped up, Mike. When interviewing a generative AI expert on a podcast about generative AI, it's important to ask questions that provide valuable insights, educate your audience, and foster a meaningful discussion. Here are some questions you can consider asking. And it gave me 20 questions. It's a big list. Yeah. And did you like the questions? What do you think of the questions? Well, they're pretty good. I mean, they're questions I wouldn't have thought to ask on my own, right? So, and we have used ChatGPT for research in previous episodes, and I find it quite helpful. I've even been using it, for example, I know you mentioned you grew up in the UK. That Toronto accent is not there, by the way. (laughs) No. Okay, all right. Yeah, it's definitely UK. (laughs) I wouldn't have thought you were born in Toronto, to be quite honest. But my wife is planning a trip to Europe in the summer. And we did the typical go on Google and do a search type of thing. And I was okay, but you get a lot of ads and don't really know where to go with it. I said, let's try chat GPT and let's just put in, give me an itinerary on these dates in these locations and see what it comes up with. And how did it do? It was really good. Yeah. It was amazing. It gave us travel time between different locations and things I wouldn't have thought of. So I did the same thing, actually. I took my kids to the UK last summer and I asked it for an itinerary, but I also gave it extra detail, like my kids like beaches, they think museums are boring, threw in some of this stuff and said, hey, we want to do at least a day trip to London, maybe a couple of day trips to London. And so I find when you give it more to work with, you actually get better responses out of ChatGPT and other AI tools. Right. So garbage in, garbage out type of thing. Kind of. And if you ask it questions where you're maybe trying to trick it or you're just giving very short questions, you definitely get worse responses. So if you can kind of put the skepticism aside and maybe treat the thing as a useful colleague, maybe, like you talk to somebody at work and acknowledge they have a little bit of intelligence or something to offer you and ask a question in a reasonable way, I think you can get pretty good answers. Yeah. And Paige, I should mention, Mike was just on Bloomberg today before he started recording with us. Wow, look at that. So I know we're often mentioned in the same (laughs) sentence as Bloomberg, the CM Group's free lunch, but that's really cool. So do you have any questions that you want to start us off with there? Anything that sticks out? Yeah, I think for me, it's just like, I don't know if I fully understand what generative AI is and how you would use it in today's world. Like, how does it work? So the difference with the generative AI, so that's the thing that has really taken off in the past year or so. And we're actually coming up to the one year anniversary of ChatGPT 3.5. And so that 3.5 thing came out last November. And that was the point at which everything started to take off because this was an AI system that was really, really usable for like non-expert users. Pretty much anyone could just ask it a question in English and get something useful back from it. And a lot of AI systems prior to that had kind of been black boxes. They were things that experts would use, you know, you would I don't know, maybe write an AI pricing algorithm or something to predict next year's 
Black Friday sales or something like that. But it was all this kind of like highly technical stuff. And what generative AI is able to do, the generative part, what it does is it you train it on tons and tons of raw input data. And with ChatGPT, basically the thing has read the entire internet. So OpenAI's downloaded a copy of the internet, stuck it on some hard drives, and then like trained an entire machine learning model on it. And what it can then do is take all of that stuff that it's been trained on and generate similar content. So you can do this with pictures. So there's generative AI tools that create pictures based on pictures that they've been trained on. ChatGPT, of course, the chat part is it's doing text and conversation. And so when you say something to ChatGPT, what it tries to do actually is generate something similar to and useful for whatever you've asked it. And that creativity is the new thing here. And it's actually got a lot of people raising their eyebrows because I think initially everybody thought when AI comes along, it's going to replace truck drivers first, right? Like it's going to replace... Like autonomous vehicles. Yeah, exactly. Autonomous vehicles, they're going to come along, they're going to replace jobs that require good human reflexes and dexterity, but maybe a little less thinking. What we're actually seeing with generative AI is that the thing can write decent marketing copy. And so people who are marketers, maybe they're starting to be worried about this. I write a lot of stuff for work. You know, maybe this thing can do part of my job at least to write. So that's really the generative bit. And what's it useful for? One of the things that's really, I think, kind of difficult about AI is you kind of have to use it to understand what it's good at and what it's not good at. Because that's kind of a fuzzy boundary between things that these AI tools can do really well and areas where they kind of fail. So some of the stuff that they're not good at historically has been maths and logic and stuff like that, right? So you can ask tricky maths problems and ChatGPT will fail horribly at it. Like these are those like word problems you'd get in school? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you can ask it, hey, how many letters are there in some made up word, right? Like you can just type a made up word and say, how many letters are there in that? And if the system hasn't seen that word before, it doesn't actually know how to count. And so you see these Areas where, on the one hand, it can give you a great answer on, like, what was the cause of the fall of Rome? And tell me about the Socratic method or something like that, right? Like some things that are actually quite tricky to talk about. And then something simple like counting the letters in a word, it will fail at. So one of the pieces of advice I give is for people to actually use the thing, because then you get a sense of what it can do and what maybe it can't do. Well, you bring up ancient Rome. I mean, there's a quote the only thing constant is change, something to that effect. And it was a Greek philosopher, and I think his name was like Heraclitus or something. Or, anyways, it doesn't really matter. I'm just showing off here. That was no <laughs> chat GPT right there. That's just old school learning. But I'm just thinking about like technology and what you described about marketing and design. My question would be like, why would anybody go into a graphic arts program as an artist these days if they're able to just use? generative AI to create art? Just as an example. That's a great question. And I think it leads to a number of things that you've got to think about. So the first question is whether AI tools are genuinely able to create the same kind of output as an expert human at the top of their field. 
I think some graphics designers would say, no, it can't do that. Look at all the problems with it, right? Like I'm not a graphics design or a design expert, but I think often when you get to somebody who's in the top 10% of their field, they will start to very much pick on the outputs from the AI and say, look, that's not good here, here, and here, and start to tell you all the flaws with it. But the question is, if you're not in the absolute top of your field and the AI can help you get there quicker, that AI absolutely going to be useful. So I don't know is the answer. I don't know where we're going to end up. The other thing to think about is if you are a junior designer and now you've got AI, okay, maybe AI is helping you to produce work output. Is it also helping you get your 10,000 hours you need to become an expert in the topic? Because that's what expertise really takes in any career is sitting down and spending the time to do it. I think what AI promises is to kind of put humans into a decision maker or kind of an editor role where you explain to the AI the kind of thing that you want and it gives you a bunch of options to choose from. You still need to know what's a good option and what's a less good option in order to be able to make that kind of editorial process work. Sure. And what I heard there was there's a difference between education and wisdom is basically what you're saying in that the open AI or chat GPT or whatever it's called, whatever you call it, has access to every bit of data ever created, but it doesn't necessarily have the problem solving skills to do anything with it. Yeah, I kind of think of it as certainly the current versions of ChatGPT, you are kind of getting the average of the internet on something. That's actually pretty good. I hate to opine on how good content on the internet is. There's a lot of bad content on <laughs> the internet. There's a lot of bad content. <laughs> but let's say you get the average of the internet, right? That's actually not a bad answer in a lot of cases, especially if you otherwise were going to produce really crummy, non-expert output, like having the average of the internet, probably okay. What we're seeing already and what we're going to see a lot of is more specific AI that's been trained in a very specific way with extra training data from kind of expert companies. So one of the things that I think it was ChatGPT4 launched with, it was a legal company that had done kind of extra training to produce a legal advice bot that was trained on this company's decades of their own legal analysis that they'd done that was kind of proprietary data. So this is not stuff that you would find on the internet. And so that kind of a chatbot or that kind of AI is going to produce more expert answers. For example, you folks at the CM group, you give out investment advice. I'm not getting into investment advice here. <laughs> but let's say you had been tracking all of that advice you've been giving. You might be able to train a chatbot on that to give out similar advice, right? Like you'd have to figure out, hey, is that useful? Is that not useful? And again, I'm don't want to get into an investment advice, but a lot of that is the human touch, I think, is really where your, where your work comes in. So it still needs that human touch to sort of help it learn and get smarter. We're almost making it more intelligent? Yeah, absolutely. So if you imagine there's a lot of companies wanting to use this stuff for customer interactions, so they don't have to phone up the call center all the time and all that. The few call center AIs I've interacted with have been super annoying, actually, yeah, right? So I don't I agree. think they're, they're there yet. <laughs> but the promise is if you knew the kinds of conversations that you had with customers, you could make something more useful than a generic chatbot. You could produce something that really understood your customer situation, the kinds of information that they wanted, all that. 
You know where I see it coming into play in our world, page is maybe you go through a bear market. I don't know. We might have been through one recently, which creates a lot of angst for a lot of investors because usually when we're in a bear market, not usually, 100% of the time, and I'm sure ChatGPT would agree with me on this, 100% of the time if you're in a bear market, people feel scared, right? And if we had the ability to have a chat bot that they could go to and say, hey, I'm scared. What should I do about my investments? And then it was able to sort through the data to come up with all of the evidence to maybe put them at ease. I can see us using something like that in the future. Yeah. And I think if you did, you'd need to be very sure it was going to give out good advice. I think this is another thing that companies are grappling with right now. Hey, we can build an AI. Do we want to just let it answer questions on its own? So a lot of companies are using what I'd call human in the loop here, where you have an AI that's maybe suggesting a response to a customer, but you still have a human looking at it and saying, yeah, actually, that's a reasonable response. I'm going to use that one. And a lot of that depends on the risk characteristic of the situation. It's going to be different for each kind of chatbot usage, but that's really important to think about. If it's a low risk case, like maybe you're just doing kind of a little bit of marketing, maybe you can let the AI run on its own. But if you're doing something much more serious, like investment advice, then you want to be really sure that output's good. Well, and you want to make sure like it's in the tone that you want to convey, right? Especially when you're talking about investment advice, we have our own philosophy and things that we follow. You would want to make sure you're giving out that same information. So it isn't quite taking the human part out of the loop yet. Exactly. And I think some of the stuff that Facebook has been doing is interesting there because they have a bunch of different chatbots with different personalities. I didn't know that. Yeah. And you can actually like, I'm not really on Facebook, but you can add these into Messenger and like actually do like a group chat with some of your friends and one of these AI personalities. So for with chat GPT, and I know that that's what everybody talks about these days, chat GPT. And as you point out, there's a lot of other providers that are getting into this space. What it isn't is empathy GPT, (laughs) right? So it's just the data. Do you see a road for empathy to be part of this? Well, I think we're starting to see early signs of that. So I think a lot of people don't really realize what you can do with tools like ChatGPT. So you can do something which is called prompt engineering, which is a fancy term for basically telling the chatbot how you would like it to respond. So you can actually say to ChatGPT, I want you to pretend that you are a hard-driving personal trainer fitness person and don't cut me any slack and set me up a workout program. I've done this, by the way. I didn't didn't get it to be mean (laughs) to me, but I basically told it all of the workout gear that I've got in the basement. And I said, these are my goals. And hey, make me a workout. And it will do that. And you can actually carry on a conversation and then come back the next day and say, okay, it's the next day. So what am I doing now? And it tells you leg day. And anyone who's done any workouts never likes leg day. Never skip leg day. Never (laughs) skip leg day. Didn't we just talk about that? We did, yeah. (laughs) So it is possible to do kind of rudimentary personality tuning, I'd call it, with this prompt engineering approach. So you can kind of get somewhat towards a faked out version of empathy. I'm not really an expert on all that, but yeah, I think we're going to see stuff like that. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. As someone who's like never really used AI before, that's one part that I've never really considered. So like 
for an individual or a business, how would you recommend people get started using AI for projects and research? Like where is the starting point? So I think there's a very different set of concerns when you're thinking personally versus business. So on a personal level, I would encourage people just to play around with the tools, play around with ChatGPT, Google's got Bard, Microsoft has Bing, there's other tools around there. Be skeptical of the output, I would say, when trying it for personal use. And the other thing is, unfortunately, there's a massive difference in capability between the free tools and the ones you have to pay for. So with ChatGPT, I always tell people, are you using the paid for version if someone's giving me a story about how it wasn't really very good? And I always encourage that, you know, it's, it's worth the 20 bucks a month. You get actually vastly superior quality. Like most it. things. Yeah. Like most things, you know, yeah. you, you get what you pay for to a certain extent. Yeah. From a business perspective, though, I think two things. It's really important for businesses to be encouraging their people to experiment with AI, but they need to do it responsibly. So you need to help your people understand these are the kinds of AI tools we can use. Maybe we have a contract with this provider or a relationship with that provider over there. So it's actually a corporate level tool. So in my company, one of the first things I did when I took on the chief AI officer role was really to start pushing tools for our internal use. And we use like Gmail and Google Docs and all that kind of stuff. So the obvious answer was get everybody access to the Google AI tools, and then give people guardrails. You can use this kind of data with this tool. You can't use that kind of data with the tool because some of that's very important as well, right? Like you hear stories about data leaks and all of that kind of stuff. So I would say enabling responsible experimentation with tools is really important. And then starting to think about how you would go from like a small scale experiment, like a little proof of concept to say, hey, look, this looks like we could create some value for the business here. Thinking about how you would actually scale that and roll it out. I find at a lot of companies, there's a big gap between doing something that's sort of, you know, a small group in the corner has an idea about doing something versus really rolling it out to your entire customer base. Because at that point, security has to approve on it and data protection and all the other stuff you've got to do to make it real. Hmm. So I was at this conference I mentioned, and one of the people talked about how 60% of the jobs today didn't exist in 1940, and how technology has always been taking away sort of skilled labor jobs, right? Like, it's just a thing, but then new jobs have been created that you don't even know exist. So do you see that trend continuing with AI that, yes, it's going to take away maybe some of the truck driver jobs, maybe some of the marketing people jobs, but it's going to create other things, right? I mean, I'm definitely a tech optimist. So I would say I think this is ultimately going to create new jobs. I do think there is going to be a period of disruption, though. Some of the stuff AI is able to do, at the moment, it can do tasks. It can't do jobs. But there are some people whose jobs are just tasks. And so those roles are at risk of automation. Let me pose something to you in that regard. Everybody always talks about the internet of things as what we have right now, right? Like you ask the internet questions, it gives you answers, right? And there's obviously this internet of everything concept, how everything just becomes intermingled. Is AI the next step of the internet of everything? I think to me, wow, what is AI? I don't know. That's why we have you. Yeah, that's why we have me here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's we just trade stocks and bonds. Yeah. <laughs> so I think 
AI is this incredible new tool that we have to figure out how to use. And so something that was interesting, when search came along, when Google came along and suddenly you could just search all the time, human brains actually changed from knowing facts to knowing where to find facts. And I think AI is potentially going to change us again from knowing exactly how to do the intricacies of a task to knowing how to get good results out of an AI that's going to help you perform that task. So I could see us making that move so that we are, everybody's more productive, able to get stuff done quicker. I do think it's going to be a change though. AI is coming at all of us all at once. So I think previous things, the internet revolution and all that kind of stuff, it wasn't really affecting all jobs and roles all at the same time, whereas AI potentially is. Like you can apply it to knowledge work. And I think the majority of people on the planet now do knowledge work. It's the reason we all still had jobs through the middle of the pandemic when we all had to kind of sit at home and just do screen and keyboard time. So like I'm optimistic overall, but I wouldn't downplay the disruption that there might be in the short term. Mm -hmm. All right, Paige, we're going to run out of time. What kind of other questions did you have for Mike? And Mike, I should say, I believe, Chow. Chow. <laughs> right? Chief Chow. AI officer. Oh. Chow. <laughs> yeah. Chow. <laughs> I think one thing that comes up a lot, and maybe the final question we can ask is like, what are the responsible ethical safety protocols we need to put in place for AI? Like, are people using it in an ethical way? That is a great question and a really important topic area for everybody to be thinking about. One of the big issues with AI and machine learning, big data stuff for years has been bias because basically you feed training data into these things and then they learn the characteristics of the training data and then embody that. So if your training data has bias in it, whether that's unconscious bias or if you train stuff on the internet, that's going to have a very Western bias <laughs> to it, right? Like that's just a fact. That's what a lot of the internet is. There's going to be overt or otherwise bias in that data. So that's one of the first things to be looking for. I think responsible use, that starts with a conversation about what does responsible use mean for us, for this particular use case. I think consumers, the average person, really wants to understand how their data is being used. You using my data for training an AI? Am I talking to an AI right now? Like, I mean, that's a fundamental thing. I think personally, it should be very clear when you are interacting with an AI. So there's basic stuff like that, you know, transparency and then accountability. If something's wrong with the results that an AI system produces, who's on the hook to fix that? But everything's listening to us all the time, all day, every day, <laughs> right? I mean, like at home, we have a Google Home, I think it's called, right? And I was talking to my wife and said, you know, it's listening to every word that you say all day. And the trade-off is that, yeah, but it's easy to get quick information when I need it. I just ask it and it just answers me. But the data is going somewhere. So if the data is going somewhere and it's going into, I don't know, does this all come into play? No, it does come into play. And actually, that's a really good example of how privacy-first businesses maybe getting a leg up in terms of their brand advantage. So 
Apple's a great example of this. By the way, I'm not recommending Apple. But neither are we. <laughs> neither neither are we. we. Yeah. But I do use Apple for you everything. Do, I, I, do, I do have a lot of Apple stuff. Yeah. You actually have an Apple t-shirt on. I have an Apple t-shirt on that I actually got from Apple HQ when, well, there I, you uh, go. when yeah. I visited. Yeah. Proud moment that. Anyway, Apple have very much a privacy first stance. They make a lot of claims about your data just remaining on your phone. If you look at the ads for the Apple Health stuff, they're really pro- privacy. And they've built that into the entire brand in a way that some of the other big companies have not. And personally, I actually made the switch from a non-Apple device to the Apple device in my kitchen so that I can yell at it and be a little bit more confident <laughs> that the, the security is there. So I think it's something to think about and being, again, transparent with exactly how much of this microphone is being streamed up to the cloud somewhere and saved for goodness knows how long. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And you got a question. I mean, like, who cares about most of the things we say all day? That's true. But I, I think, again, the reason that we have envelopes on letters is so that we have some privacy, not necessarily because everything that we're sending is super secret. And we still all use envelopes rather than postcards. Yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy. I like that. You bring up a good point. My father-in-law would send us postcards from when they were traveling. And I always thought it was funny to send a postcard because... The mailman's reading the postcard yep. <laughs> before he puts it in your mailbox, right? Like, you don't want to put anything too personal on there. Anyways, okay, we're going to have to wrap this up right away. But I wanted to close this off, Mike, with, again, the closing thoughts from ChatGPT when I asked it the question. It said, remember to allow your guests to elaborate on their answers and share their expertise. Additionally, be open to exploring related or tangible topics that arise during the conversation to ensure an engaging and informative discussion for your podcast audience. And I think we did just that today. That's helpful advice. Excellent. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad. Job done. Yeah. Job done. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike. Well, thanks again. Any closing thoughts? I mean, I would just encourage people to be open to this stuff. Try it out. Really using the stuff is really the only way to really understand what it can and can't do. And yeah, hopefully we're all heading towards a bright new future, AI powered, helping us get stuff done. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, yeah, Paige. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Yep. Okay. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.